Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 130 for Monday, March 1st, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him as Deep Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. <laughs> Hello. I'm no longer grim Pixel Riffs, as it turns out. Um, and if, yeah, <laughs> if we, we, get a, we get a little bit deep on the render distance, the extended version of the show, but we also discuss some lighter topics like the joys of couch gaming and guiding your partner through a gaming experience. If you're interested in listening to the extended version of the show, just me and Joel having a bit of a chat before we get into things, you can sign up and get the extended conversation at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and thank you to anyone who's joined us to support through patreon it is uh, the first of the month so we uh, we welcome new people in around this time and uh, occasionally patreon rejigs things behind the scenes but uh, yeah our support has been growing and it's always a delight to welcome new people into the live chat where we are currently broadcasting live to our discord as we record the show and those bonus audio tracks that you get for uh, joining the Patreon are uh, a back catalog. So if you join now, you can listen to all of the previous render distance should you decide to. So you, even if you've listened to the Spawn Chunks all the way up to now, uh, there's extra content that you can go back and, and, and grab uh, and check out should you uh, should you join. There's about 110, 115 or so episodes of Render Distance because we started it like a few months into the show once we hit one of our patreon milestones but uh, at this point yeah there's over a hundred episodes of the render distance to listen to so uh yeah pl plenty to plenty to listen to if you want to get to know me and joel a little better so how have you been spending uh your time in minecraft the last week uh well yesterday was kind of an intense one um we had another clash of the creators contest and it's it's really growing into something quite big at this point which is super cool uh so hosted by the monumenta server and i think azuma is the one who's really been putting a lot of stuff together with the team behind the scenes uh it's another advancement race this time around we uh it was me rendog Azuma and Jessassin, uh, who was formerly of the Hermitcraft server, I think he's still loosely affiliated with Hermitcraft, versus a couple of teams from the Hermits and a couple of teams from Legacy, uh, plus a few others here and there. Uh, basically competing to get all of the Bedrock Edition achievements on a Java Edition world. So they custom coded an ad advancement data pack that had all of the Bedrock Edition achievements instead of the Java Edition ones. And... As per previous events, all of the servers were kind of linked up behind the scenes so that the audience could watch along and see who was completing what at what time, even if they were only watching one stream, thanks to uh, some pretty neat Twitch extensions. And there's a lot of, like, back-end functionality getting put into this stuff so that even though we're not on the same server, we're on effectively identical clones of the world on separate servers, everything is still linked up and we can still chat between them and everything. So had a great time doing that. We placed second, uh, which is I think now the third time I have come second in one of these events. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm holding the silver medal podium uh, pretty tightly at this point. Um, yeah, no, it was an absolute blast. And uh, shout out to Rendog for basically doing all of the stuff in the nether <laughs> all, all on his own. I felt kind of bad, but me and me and Azuma were trying to throw ourselves at an ocean monument for about the last half hour of the stream while we were trying to kill an Elder Guardian, um, which did not go well. But it was an absolute blast as ever. So dipped my toes into uh, the competitive scene a little bit there. That, that's the kind of stuff I always find really interesting. And I, I tuned into your your stream for a little bit. I was lurking after my own this weekend. And uh, I was trying to figure out, I had to go look it up. I had to go find your tweet and find out who you were playing with. Because I recognized uh, Zumavoid and, and Rendog, of course. But then I was like, 
who is this other person with the incredibly appealing podcast voice? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just like, who is this person? And I had no idea because I just, for whatever reason, I either didn't catch Assassin's content when they were on Hermitcraft. And now that they're not on a regular basis, I just, you know, I, I don't see the name go by. So, like, I didn't recognize uh, that. But uh, it sounded like a lot of fun. And I always enjoy the fly on the wall experience with content like that because you're streaming but you're not like super engaged with the chat because you're doing something competitive you're focused the idea is that people are there to kind of like uh grandstand watch like they're not there to necessarily be able to engage they're more to like watch all these people do the cool things and it was really fun to kind of just sit back and just see all the minecraft knowledge fly back and forth and uh and see like the 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 shout outs over over the audio call to be like I'm gonna do this do you want to do this or I'm halfway to this and yeah. I'm halfway to that and after we do this we can combine our efforts and like do the next thing and it just it was really cool and it made me feel I mean obviously I've been playing the game for four years which is actually a, a March anniversary for me now is four years in Minecraft but it's it's one of those things where you're you you are made acutely aware of the things you don't know and I don't know a lot of the achievement stuff. Like, mm-hmm. if you were to put me in that, like, I would be dead last, but I would be enjoying learning the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, oh, that's an achievement? I didn't know you could do that. Like, uh, all that kind of stuff was kind of news to me, which is really cool. Yeah. The uh, the the spreadsheet we had open basically went out the window about half an hour in. I think Azuma was still <laughs> trying to, like, edit it, but, um, you know, you can, you can plan only so much ahead of time if you don't know what the world is going to look like and then the stuff that you stumble into then informs what objectives you go after so if somebody finds a lava pool they think oh okay i can turn this into enough obsidian to make a nether portal and that's the nether route sorted out so i'll do that and that may not have been what they expected to specialize in when we started the stream but that was just the the way it went and i i ended up basically being the iron miner for a while and then you know collecting a few other things besides but yeah it it was it was a really interesting time and once again speaks to the depth of minecraft as a game that you can have competitive contests that are not measured by pvp combat skill i think the the only reason i'm getting involved with any of these events is because they aren't solely like battle royale tournaments they are more about testing your knowledge of the game and your ability to react on the fly and that kind of stuff appeals to me way more than you know an arena fight between four teams of combatants i think it's it's much more fun doing stuff that really showcases your knowledge of the game which is kind of my my jam in general it might be a really long slog, but I would imagine something that would be very straightforward for players that have a basic knowledge of the game but want to expand down that route quickly would be block collection. Yeah. Like a race to... Like, first one to have... I mean, I think all the blocks in the game would be astronomical, but, like, go biome by biome. You know, like, maybe have the race be, like, you know, grab all the surface blocks or all the different blocks in this particular biome or... Uh, bonus points for completing a biome at first, you know, yeah. first person to, to finish a taiga forest or whatever, um, uh, and and include or or don't include, I guess, uh, depending on how you want to roll with it, like the the blocks that you collect raw from the surface or the blocks that you um, that you would have to craft from from stuff, uh, because some of that would be, I guess, it would be tough because like if you want grass blocks from a from a zero start in the game, you got to get silk touch, right? Yeah, I mean, you either have to get Silk Touch or there's the potential for an Enderman to pick up a grass block and then you kill the Enderman. And so right. there there are emergent opportunities for you to take shortcuts through that. And that's one of the things that makes developing a strategy for a contest like this a little bit more exciting is the stuff that you can do on the fly that 
allows you to just have that one in a million chance and you'll you'll get there before the other team does so that's uh that's super fun and there are yeah formats like the the bingo game from minecraft championships or i think twitch rivals has a similar format there's events like that out there exist but yeah i do think you know having a checklist for every block in the game would certainly yeah test you to uh you know figure out exactly how you can get hold of some of the stuff that might otherwise be uh be fairly inaccessible it'd be fun um, and they're, they're looking at a lot of different formats for that. The objective is going to change basically every time. Uh, so they might end up recycling them after they've been through a few of them. But it's the kind of thing where they're they're constantly looking for ways to apply the same formula to a, a different set of conditions. So that people can't necessarily plan way ahead and strategize before they know what the theme is for that particular contest. So who knows? We could end up seeing a lot of different stuff from that in future. Um in the meantime, though, uh, testing my my knowledge of structures is what I'm up to in Survival Guide right now. I'm reconstructing some of the generated structures from Minecraft's own buildings, like desert temples, jungle temples, pillager outposts, stuff like that, for an exhibit for my museum. And so uh, having taken down a desert temple effectively layer by layer and taking screenshots as I went and replay mod footage as I went I've just rebuilt it in its entirety in a plains biome about 2,000 blocks away from where I found one so yeah I, I've actually been looking into those structures and I've been thinking more and more about how Minecraft could in future redevelop structures a, a lot of the the online discourse I see looking to the future of Minecraft aside from end update is well now we've got these really developed caves dungeons sort of stick out like a sore thumb as looking fairly plain just having a box full of cobble and mossy cobble and one spawner in it doesn't quite seem like it fits how expansive the underground feels now and so I, uh, I, I've been thinking about some of that stuff when I rebuild these generic structures, but desert temples I find quite elegantly designed. There's like a fairly nice balance of, well, you can just run in and get the treasure, but there's, it feels like there are multiple, it, it could almost be multiple different corridors leading off to different places. You can get up to the top part of the temple, and the only downside to that is that there's not really anything there, but there is a structure to be explored in a fairly minimal way and then to reveal its secrets to anybody who feels like digging down through the floor. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been fun reproducing those. Honestly, though, I'm having more fun in the snapshots than anywhere else right now, and that seems to be the case for the community in general. I think my snapshot videos are doing better than most of my other videos right now, mostly because people are looking to the future and seeing where all of this is going, but dropping into a snapshot, going caving, finding those cracks that now lead down through the world. <laughs> There's some really, really fun stuff to explore in that. And yeah, more and more, I just find my attention waving towards caves and cliffs update stuff instead of, you know, trying desperately to contain myself in 116 before we can move on to pastures new. I've been keeping up with your uh, snapshot videos as well. And it's, it, I have the itch as much as I always say on the show that I, I don't have a big desire to like start day one Minecraft over again. Uh, and we've been getting that question in, in Twitch chat for the, the Citadel, if we're going to reset, which we're not, we're going to try and, you know, update chunks and that kind of thing. Uh, but I definitely have watching you play have just been like, I really want to start a snapshot world. And I'm hoping this week, uh, I've, I've told myself I'll wait until they start to add biomes. Yeah. When we start to have, like even if it's just lush cave and dripstone or or one of those two, 
then that is when I've, I would imagine that moving forward, you would probably be able to save your snapshot world from week to week to week to week and not have to start at ground zero every time. Uh, and, and I would feel like I would be, I would have more content, I think, there to explore. And um, again, to your points, the last couple of weeks, which is experiencing the snapshots and survival versus creative, just kind of bopping in and messing around with some blocks. Is uh, is a different experience and probably more how it's intended. Obviously, um, I'm looking forward to that. I, I'm hoping this is the week where, like a maybe adding a Wednesday snapshot stream to my to my rotation would be possible. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, though, what have your streams been uh, been been up to? Towers, lots and lots and lots of towers, and uh, in a good way. I'm feeling good about the medieval town curtain wall, which is what I've been working on. Uh, I've made some adjustments, which is not always the most fun in Minecraft when you're like, well, this wall looks good, but I've got to move it four blocks. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, well, <laughs> okay, well, it's fine. You know, that's one of the things I'm doing with this town. That's why it's not massive, massive. It's a big build, but it's not gargantuan. Yeah. Uh, and if you do have to learn, I want to learn on something this size and not learn on something really big and complicated. Because um, I have ideas for more more ornate complicated things later on in a different area but for now i've been adjusting the curtain wall to to make more sense to have more towers so it has kind of more interest as opposed to just being a a flat-ish wall for most of it and uh it i it took a lot longer than i thought i mean not that i mean tearing things down it's it's that delicate balance of like it would be faster with a beacon but it's not quite enough tear down to warrant the time it takes to get a beacon build it yeah. move it yeah, yeah you know because yeah. i can't have it it's a big enough build that the beacon doesn't cover the whole build so i'd have to put two up uh and so it's one of those things where you're like well whatever I'll, I'll just chat with the chat room and tear this down but it does take you know 20 minutes to rip down a good chunk of the wall yeah uh and then because i'm so picky and because it's survival there's an awful lot of like building the tower up with a frame getting it to the right height trying to figure out the roof style design and then trying to figure out the details and how to do the windows how to do how to make it look good but uh the rule that i have for myself on this is like i'm trying not to be overly complicated because one i don't want this build to last until 2022 uh and i i also um because i have to build these things over and over again i kind of want them to be like like uh, something that's fairly simple like interesting but not like the main set piece like the the main entrance i'm really proud of i don't want these new towers to take away from that i kind of want to keep them on the simple side yeah and it's led to some frustrations because that I'm happy with the towers. I'm just not crazy about the roofs. And um, there doesn't seem to be much I can do on the scale to make them much different and try to attach them. Like I want the I want something interesting to happen underneath the roof, the 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 overhang between the overhang and the actual um, stone tower. And I either don't have enough room to do stairs, or if I do something like a slab and a trapdoor combo, it looks like a mushroom with a hat, and I, you know, from like a Mario game, and I can't get that out of my head. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just frustrated with it. So I'm, I'm trying to leave them as, and just kind of like have that um, inner challenge of just like keep it simple, be okay with it, and then put the money, put the effort into things like a bridge or the main gate or a special tower that spans the river. And so. Those are the things that I've done. I'll have screenshots in the show notes as I often do. And I'm really happy with some of these fun, 
I don't want to call them happy accidents because they've been plans, but I had a bridge that was running next to the town, and then I realized that my wall design was was funky, and so I decided to run the wall directly into one of the bridge towers. So the bridge is basically now attached to the town, mm-hmm. and it looks a lot more um, more interesting. You don't see this kind of thing that often in a lot of the builds that I've seen, so uh, I'm having fun with that. But I've made myself an angled bridge, but the towers are still square, so that they have like a diamond shape when you look at them when you walk across the bridge, but the bridge is of course at a direct 45 degree angle so there are some challenges there that i'm enjoying uh there's also some challenges that i've been finding quite frustrating but um i think i've i've gotten to a point where i'm happy with the way that the build is going uh it's just been taking a long time so like you know three streams over the weekend and i've still not completed I guess I've completed a couple of the towers and a section of the wall on the west side of town, but all the east side of stuff, it's just like the tower, some one tower doesn't have a roof on it. The bridge only has one complete tower out of four. Um, the deck is sort of done. I need to work on the texture a bit more, but I haven't done anything under the bridge. Like, you know, the, the arc of the bridge and like how it, you know, what, what supports go into the water and where and all that kind of stuff. There's no water currently. I drained the river that for that section to make it easy to walk around. And so like all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, correct me if I if I'm wrong or if if you don't experience this quite often, but like I found recently, I'm starting to get frustrated when I don't complete something in a stream or a video. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess with edited content, it's maybe a little bit different because like your streams tend to be more of a this is the work in between videos that I have to put in to get yeah. things to where I want them, whereas your videos tend to present a complete at least a complete part of a build. Like you're working on a room in the museum and that room ends up being complete by the end of the video. Um, But I'm finding myself getting very frustrated with uh, while progress is happening and I am happy with it, I'm just like, ah, I really, I really wanted to finish it. Like I actually, I logged in last night having already done a big stream and I just, I needed to get that tower to the point where it was at least done, (laughs) you know, like at least one of them. I just had that nag, you know, like (laughs) I didn't like leaving it 80% 80% finished. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that way about my own stuff. And being a content creator is part of it. You want to present people with something that feels like a finished product just for the mm-hmm. the audience's sake so you can compare what you had at the beginning to what you have at the end. But also, yeah, it, it I always want to have an agenda for my streams. And when it comes to Minecraft, there is so much you can do that just involves, you know, just puttering around in the world you can just kind of you can log in and do whatever if you're playing more casually but if you have a larger project to work on you get that that desire for progress that can sometimes be a little bit hard to shake or to reconcile the fact that you're not going to get everything done in that moment and it's why you know i've been putting out survival guide episodes on an almost daily basis until recently where i've really started to slow down because so many of the projects i'm working on now are complete exhibits in a museum which are taking more than just like eight hours or so of video production to to do it's a a multi-day project sometimes and yeah (laughs) that take taking um you know rendering times for everything else into account as well it it all just it all starts to add up so yeah don't be uh don't be too alarmed by that and and uh persist because i honestly think that town is is coming together really nicely and there's a lot of features of it that are going to add up into something that is even greater than the sum of its parts thanks man yeah i I appreciate that i i I got that question on on the weekend someone was asking about like how do you even like attempt this and i was just like honestly it's just it's consistency yeah i mean 
being a content creator means I'm basically at least playing Minecraft once a week, if not a couple times a week. And I just, I have not deviated from the project. Even when I am not sure what to do next, there's always something like a road or something that needs planning. It might not be the most exciting thing, but it needs to get done. And so I, I've just, I've not gone away and said, oh, well, I'll come back to this and I'll go work in the modern city or I'll go build a redstone farm or something. I've just, I've not done that. Yeah. And I, I, it does start to add up consistently um the thing that i find still intimidating is is going to be filling in all the houses and trying mm -hmm. to come up with different designs and because i don't want to just repeat the same house like over and over again in different parts of the city like i'd like to try and come up with some new stuff but honestly i might have new blocks to play with before <laughs> this thing is done yeah so there is that and let's let's talk a little bit about those new blocks let's uh let's get into the news Sounds like a plan. Uh, of course, you would have to be under a piece of deep slate to not realize that Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 21W08A slash 08B uh, has come out and they include some big changes. Uh, tweaked caves uh, and sizes of those caves have been changed. Canyon and cave carvers uh, now apply below Y0. Cracks can now be found carved into the ground. Grimstone has been changed to Deep Slate, and they've added Deep Slate ores. The distribution of ores has been further tweaked. There's a image in the uh, notes for that as well. Andesite no longer generates under Y0. Tuff now sometimes generates under Y0. The tuff layer of amethyst geodes has been replaced with a now new type of stone called Smooth Basalt. Smooth Basalt is now obtained from Smelting Basalt. Another round of tweaking has been done to the new textures of ores and blackstone. Emerald and lapis lazuli ore textures have some touch-ups. Mine shafts now once again generate in open air caves. Particles now appear in the air around spore blossoms. Slime blocks and honey blocks have been moved to redstone tab on the creative inventory. Under the deep slate tab, grimstone is now called deep slate. Deep slate uh, now has a top texture and a new block called Cobbled Deep State, Deep Slate. They've done it to us again, John. <laughs> they have. Oh man, the tongue twisters. Deep Slate now has a top texture and a new block called Cobbled Deep Slate drops from Deep Slate. <laughs> I get points for this. The Cobbled variant is the same, but with a new top texture and is used to craft all Deep Slate variants instead. Deep Slate now has a unique set of sounds. Very crunchy indeed. There are also deep slate versions of all of the ores, as we mentioned earlier. So uh, iron, gold, lapis, redstone, and diamond ores will generate in deep slate wherever those ores would have generated previously in their stone variants. You'll note that coal and a couple of other resources are missing from this list. I think copper and emerald don't appear there because they don't generate below Y0. Uh, deep slate ores are notably twice as tough to mine as normal ores. They have a longer time to break. And once again, ore distribution has been tweaked slightly, and where previously it kind of stepped up in stages, now it sort of ramps up in a much more linear fashion. You'll notice that there is reduced air exposure for some of these ores, so as you get further down into the deep slate layers, you will find fewer patches of diamonds exposed to open air. You're encouraged to mine into the walls to find them. Same goes for gold and a couple of other things, I believe, as well. You'll also find iron distributed in smaller blobs, although that's kind of what the 21W08B snapshot was there to fix, because in 08A, 
there was virtually no iron anywhere in the world. The regular iron generation was bugged and you didn't get any in the stone layers above the deep slate caves. And uh, those of us who jumped into the snapshot in survival found that they were struggling to craft an iron pickaxe for the most part. Uh, there are fixed bugs in 21W08A, notably that rooted dirt footstep sounds were considerably quieter than normal dirt footstep sounds. That's been rebalanced. Uh, geodes could generate floating in caves. That's now been fixed. And old style caves not generating past Y0 has now been fixed as well. So the landscape of the underground continues to change, Joel, but uh, let's talk about the name first because that's clearly been uh, tripping us up a little bit. How do you feel about the, the Grim Slain and the Deep Stoat? <laughs> what, is, <laughs> what, what, is, what is your preferred name for this, uh, this new, new block that they've added? I like rocks, man. Mm -hmm. Like, do we just big old dark rock? rocks? Yeah, 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 yeah. I so I I understand now that I see the top texture change, I can understand why they would call it deep slate. Yeah. I also, as luck would have it, have slate tile in my coffee table in my living room. Right. Uh huh. And it makes the same sound as the sound that deep slate now does in the so, game. So so you're familiar. <laughs> you're familiar I with am the deep familiar. slate. And I like the sound. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I, there's, it's, it's, uh, and I like the the texture too, to a point. Um, but I do find the the deep slate change. It's like if you're going to make up a word, I thought grimstone sounded a lot cooler. It was also a lot easier to say. Um, and I found that the cobblestone and then cobblestoned deep slate to be a weird um shift considering that throughout the game you want to try to stay consistent to kind of communicate to players you know how you get one versus how you get the other you have to silk touch deep slate to get it as just similar to how you have to silk touch stone to not get cobble right so stone into cobblestone slate into cobble slate I don't know why it's called deep slate. Like slate is a is a real world material, and um, it would make sense that it would be down in in deep places. So I I don't know why they needed to call it deep slate because we already know where we are. We're going down below Y zero. We already know we're deep. Yeah, um, I I think it's just a vibe. I think what they're going yeah. for is something that sounds a little bit foreboding in the same way that Grimstone did. Mm -hmm. um but the the stone itself not necessarily having anything particularly grim about it <laughs> i guess maybe they thought deep was more of a uh a kind of an apt adjective um yeah i i kind of agree though i think slate seems like just a, a more straightforward name and deep slate as we found is not all that easy to say it doesn't roll off the tongue perhaps as well as grimstone does but I think the community pushback about the name is also fueled a little bit by what I've learned is called primacy bias, where it's just the first thing we heard. And so we've kind of latched onto right. the term. It had a the first impression we got of it was that it was called Grimstone. And we thought, oh, OK, we finally have a name for this. And we sort of imprint that name onto it having known about the block since Minecraft Live, but not really knowing what it did and having interacted with it in the world. And then they say, oh, actually, we're going to change it and call it Deep Slate now. And I think with time, that name will grow if it's the name that sticks for the developers. But I think, yeah, for, for the moment, having had a week of each name, uh, I think the confusion still exists out there. 
see stained clay versus terracotta right yes there there are definitely still people calling the badlands the mesa and so forth Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah i well and it's weird because i use terracotta but i still i still called mesas mesas like i I, versus i call them the old name for the area but the new name for the block yeah uh, and I, I still call stone smooth stone. Yeah. Compa- yeah. Like we, when it's not like we mm-hmm. have a smooth, it's becomes confusing, uh, on, on, uh, on streams because like I'm saying smooth stone, but then I'm looking at stone and people are like, what, what are you talking about? That's not the same block. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like we actually have a full block now that, that has that name. So you, you have to like watch what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I, I've gotten I've, a little bit better at it, but yeah. I've adopted the term natural stone to talk about mm, just stone mm-hmm. because for some reason saying just stone feels inadequate to me uh, as though you're describing an entire category instead of one specific yes. block. So yeah, that makes I, sense. Yeah. And uh, as far as the top texture goes, I really like the top texture of, of Deep Slate that they've added. And I think the the justification that I've seen, I don't know if this is from the devs or just somebody from the community who's been thinking about this more, for the top texture being different from the sides is that you can then use one block for both the cave floor and the cave walls and they still have a different texture. Mm. Uh, I, I really appreciate that insight into it because I think that makes a lot of sense. However, I like the top texture so much that I'm still going to advocate however strongly for a smelted form or something like that that has that texture on all six sides because it's such a good transitional block between stone and anything else that's in a darker stone palette like blackstone or the cobbled deep slate that now has the the side texture but on all six faces i think that as a stone type is what i was looking for from blackstone in the beginning and tough and basically every stone type they've added since 1.8 i was hoping for something that looked like stone with a few slightly darker patches and we never quite get there (laughs) it always just feels like it is you know ripped from our grasp slightly but i can imagine using that in floors and everything or ceilings going to be fantastic block to use and i understand wanting to leave that layered feel to the side texture because that's how slate naturally forms in kind of strata like that and that is that is good but i would really like a smelted form or something like that for for deep slate that has that top texture on all six of the faces of the block i think a good example would be sandstone yes smooth sandstone now mm-hmm. with uh, the most recent updates to that because it sets precedence uh i think another thing from a technical side uh in terms of your inventory is um while i do like the top texture of deep slate quite a bit uh i feel like deep slate and cobbled deep slate next to one another it's a really smooth transition but it's almost too smooth like there's there's almost no difference between um the blocks and especially the sides of the blocks they're identical in terms of having them next to each other so it is confusing in the world when you're looking at one and trying to figure out which one it is and while i know we have pick block if you've got them in your inventory, it is nigh impossible to tell the difference unless you're going to hover <laughs> yeah, over and read the right? name. And that, to me, from a graphic design standpoint, is a no-no. Like, I, I really... Because you don't have that many unique shapes and silhouettes in Minecraft, once you, unless you start getting into items, all the blocks have the same shape in your inventory for the most part. Um, you really have to do something, I feel, in, in the texture to try and offset a little bit. And I'd be okay if Cobbled Deep Slate was a bit darker than um than deep slate or vice versa um but i I, like i said i I do like the deep slate as it is like it works well with natural stone uh, as you put it um i'm i do find that 
it gets frustrating if there are blocks in the game that have different textures on different sides. A good example would be things like barrels. A lot of the um, profession blocks are like this, but they don't all work the same. Uh, I really enjoy things like barrels and... Um, like logs, basalt Log, columns. Logs, yeah. yes, basalt columns. Things that do have those different textures, but they allow the player to place them directionally. Yeah. And we would have so many more textures to play with if we could do that with profession blocks. Now, I understand why you can't put a crafting bench sideways sticking out of the wall. Mm -hmm. It would be super creative and fun, but I understand for the most part why it's supposed to be a bench and it's supposed to be like yeah, down. Yeah, for, for the practicalities of how we use the block in the, yeah. the fictional construct of the world for immersion's sake. Yeah, I, I do get that. But there are definitely times when I would like to be able to use some of these profession blocks uh, and it does get a little bit confusing because like logs do it observers do it uh, why can't something like a deep slate do it so that you can still have the world generation the way that the uh, devs intended with the top texture and side texture being different but if you've got deep slate in your inventory and you're placing it into a wall i if you could see the top part as opposed to the side part uh, it's the same with blackstone blackstone has the same same problem or same, we'll say, feature. <laughs> um, it 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 gets frustrating when you want to use the cobblestone looking part of of blackstone, but instead you get the side bulbous stuff that looks more like obsidian, and you have to kind of like pick which one you want depending on whether you want to do a floor. I would also love to have um, deep cobble deep slate in a floor, but here we can because they allow you to have the two different blocks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to, to your point about them having the same side texture, I actually got confused when I was mining down into the world that I couldn't pick block from the walls around me when I wanted to pull some deep slate out of my inventory for bridging with, because I was looking at a block that looked identical to what I'd already mined, but because I was looking at it from the side. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it does tend to get a little bit confusing. Um, with regards to us getting more variants of these blocks, though, I want to bring up that uh, Jasper Burstrow is once again on Twitter providing a bit of insight into the changes that they've made and said that over the course of time, and you know, I, I'm pretty sure he's primarily an artist for the game, so maybe these decisions are better left to the developers and the people who are introducing newer features but um he says that i'm sure there'll be more blocks in the deep slate levels and pointed out that overworld normal stone has been getting blocks and things over a long period of time and deep slate will probably gain the same thing it's not going to have eight plus unique blocks right away but it could potentially have some variants that are introduced in the future and i think that speaks a little to a forward-thinking approach to caves in that yes this is the caves and cliffs update but there are still things here which are ripe for development further down the line depending on community interaction how people are using stuff what they kind of latch onto about this update and what can then be improved and refined in future updates so even if we don't get something like that right now i'm hoping that they leave it open for the future and that potentially stuff like that can be revisited in forthcoming updates how did you feel about the um addition of tough down low i like it because uh i think unlike you last time we kind of uh we, we disagreed on this but i think tough and deep slate look really good next to each other i think there is at least a darkness to tough that reduces the contrast that 
Deep Slate had with Andesite, of the Andesite patches that were generating down that low. And now that they've changed some of the uh, the contrast of Deep Slate blocks and kind of lightened some of those a little bit, I think they go together even better. And it may also be the top texture of Deep Slate goes with it a certain way as well. You still have the direction of the texture feeling different, so they do feel like different patches of stone. They don't blend together particularly smoothly, but you still get the sense that there is some geology to it. I would still love to see patches of other materials done in more rock strata kind of patterns, more like long veins than blobs, as they call them, but I I do think it's a, a good change. I think the interesting thing there is the removal of tough from amethyst geodes and adding a smooth basalt. And not only a, a, a smooth basalt, a new block entirely, but a block that was a family of blocks that was previously only accessible from the nether. So right. that introduces an interesting dynamic there where people are saying, why do we have smooth basalt here when we can't get basalt in the overworld before? And whether that hints at lore that like going down this far in the world you're starting to sort of interact with the layers that might be above the nether in a sense or if it's just them pointing to the natural real world and i believe uh cory sheviak mentioned this on twitter that um basalt does occasionally form around geodes or, or geodes can be found in basalt formations in the real world so there might be some realism to apply to it there but yeah, I, I've seen a few people a little bit confused about why we're finding basalt in the overworld now. Yeah, and I was the same way where, I mean, it's cool. Um, I I find the name misleading because it's not smoother than the other forms of basalt. So you've got basalt and polished basalt. Both of those are smoother looking than smooth basalt. So cool texture and nice that we have another new block, but also... Why is it called smooth basalt? <laughs> uh, you know, why is it not called rough basalt? Because it, you know, I just, and again, maybe that's just, it has to go through, through some iterations. And so like, you know, giant asterisks, like these textures may change, you know, considerably between now and when they release the the, the update. Um, so yeah, like it just, it was, it's just this weird, it's, and it's like you said, it's the weird way that a name plays with your expectations and what's in your head where um, I, I mean, it's cool that we found it. I think it looks better than, what was it replacing? Tough? Around? Tough, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I found that tough next to calcite looked kind of funny. Um, but this seems to make more sense because it has the same sort of pattern, I feel like, that calcite does. Or direction. Yes. Yeah, it, like it really looks good next to calcite. And yeah. uh, looking at the smooth basalt texture, there is a texture for it on the, the Minecraft wiki now. It does maybe look like a smoothing of the end texture of basalt, but not the sides. <laughs> it's sort of as though the kind of hexagons that they've implied through the uh, the the end texture of basalt are kind of right. smoothed out a little bit. But um, I think the name smooth only refers to how we obtain it renewably, which is to smelt it in a furnace, and that has to go along with the convention of smooth stone being stone that you've smelted and smooth yeah. sandstone and red sandstone likewise. So, yeah, I, I get that the name doesn't necessarily conform to how we find it in its natural environment it's more of the the mechanical side of things it's you mm. know it, it's it's consistency with the naming convention of other blocks that we obtain that way and we don't typically find smooth variants of sandstone and so forth naturally in the world so this is the first time we're encountering a block that is already smooth without us having to 
do anything to it beforehand. And if we're going into the realism of things, you know, the deeper you go in the world, the more pressure and the more heat happens in the Earth's crust. And so you'd end up with things like smooth basalt that would happen naturally because of, um, I can't remember the technical term, geothermal or no. Yeah. I mean, the, the rock is a- metamorphic. A- and that, that's metamorphic. That's, thank you. That, that's yeah. also how you get slate, incidentally. So that's yes. sort of why deep slate sort of works, conceptually speaking. I took um, geology in university. You'd think I'd remember that, mm-hmm. but it's been a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, this isn't a directional block? Like, it's got the same texture on all six It, it does, yes. Yeah, okay, cool. I mean, like I said, I like it. I just, I, it's one of the things I did not get a lot of time with. Um, I, I think my issue last week with Tough was that I was trying to play with it in a build, but I do like it as it occurs naturally in the world. Like, it looks cool in those formations in the deep caves, but I, I didn't build enough with it i think to see if it would you know jive for me with other things uh same with the smooth salt like i I put it in there and kind of saw where it fit on the grayscale and um it just all depends on how how you use it what scale you're building i think um how how do you feel about the the new ore textures i like a lot of them i'm i'm I think a little bit more open to these changing than some other folks are who have a deep nostalgia for the way these ores have looked for the last 11 years of the game now. Mm -hmm. I'm still not entirely sure about iron, but that's because I didn't encounter very much of it when I was playing the snapshot. Uh, The only one I got to look at was deep slate iron, and that seemed okay to me. I like the fact that when you encounter a patch of iron now, the stripes of iron, the kind of claw marks almost slightly overlap into the neighboring blocks so it isn't essential that you see that you know if you see one block of iron on its own it doesn't look like a chunk of it is missing but it does kind of wrap around so that a larger deposit of iron blocks looks like a contiguous vein of iron in this rock um i think the shape of it is just so different from the other ore blocks that i think it stands out to people more than some of the other designs do it looks so vastly different that maybe that's what's rubbing people the wrong way but i've i've seen a bit of community pushback on iron in particular i'm still keeping an open mind about these and i i like a lot of them uh i like the fact that they've you know now introduced the deep slate versions of them and none of them look especially unfamiliar to me at this stage i think now that you're you're finding all of these down in the deep slate caves and we've seen gold ore be introduced to the nether so i've got more of an open mind about finding new variations of ores that way it's starting to make a fair amount of sense to me. Uh, how about you? Uh, same. I don't dislike iron, but I would put it in terms of like probably my the bottom of like my favorites. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think they all have seen an improvement. I had a good chuckle at myself last week when I realized that I was talking about the change to lapis when there was no change to lapis. Yeah, I, th- I think it, because... it got a, it got a couple of highlights. In your defense, I think it has a little bit more texture to it, like a little bit more depth and. Uh, highlight yeah. and shadow to it now but yeah the the, the actual formation of it is fairly minimal <laughs> yeah it was the pattern was about the same um but yeah everything else i think i think looks looks good um i feel like they've maybe changed gold a little bit i think it could still be a little bit more yellow but i think the iron is a good example of while that might look like a real iron deposit or a minecraft version therein i think it might be okay to take it more of a cartoony vibe and and push it a little bit towards the other so that they do look like a matching set you know in terms of all the ores together 
uh, I think that might be a good direction to go. But again, it's not bad. It's just that um, it, it just looks, like you said, so different from the others. Uh, I, in particular, thought that the changes to Emerald Ore, and I'm curious about your thoughts on that. <laughs> a lot of people uh, have asked me, yes, but go on. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I think it's a really good example of what I was talking about last week, which is taking something that is iconic and updating it with minimal changes. It is different. But it still very much captures the spirit of what they were going for with the original. But now with probably some better understanding of texture art and, and how to do it in a cool, more um, 2021 way. Uh, I really like it, especially the part where you can almost see the sprite of an emerald as if you hold in your inventory embedded into the, into yes. the texture. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I feel like this is now the first block where you can see a little bit more comparison between what you get from the block and what the block actually looks like. They're almost mm -hmm. as though once you dig your pickaxe into the block, that is the emerald that you pick up. Um, uh, yeah, I like them. I like them a lot. I think it's kept enough of the old texture around it, some of the smaller chunks, that it still feels like the classic block. But as you say, updating it with a slightly more modern pixel art style i i have no complaints i think it looks really good i will continue to hoard it as i always have uh, <laughs> um i think that's pretty much it for the news we have an email about spore blossoms which we were going to touch on so uh we, we're also going to talk in the main discussion about the minecraft dungeons flames of the nether dlc which we were going to do a news read on but we decided that having played a little bit myself now we could spin that out into our main discussion so what do you say we move on to email sounds like an absolute plan all right uh this email comes in from hatbox burke with the subject of spore blossoms so very timely thank you for the email if uh, you listening would like to email the show the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com send your emails there and our lovely moderators will sort through them and we can pick out some stuff to read on the show. Uh, so Hatbox Burke writes, Hi Johnny and Joel, I found the Spawn Chunks a couple of months ago and want to congratulate you guys. This is the most mature Minecraft podcast I have found and it makes me look forward to getting chores done around the house. Well, <laughs> if we can make people look forward to getting chores done, then I suppose that's something positive. Uh, the 21W08A snapshots tweaked some changes to the Spore Blossom when placed on the bottom of a block now spreads green particles around the area in a large radius centered on the Spore Blossom. I was watching a YouTube video by Wattles where it was shown that if many spore blossoms were placed in an area, the particles stack, dropping visibility. Do you feel this effect is too overwhelming? I was thinking it would be cool if you could dye the blossom with dye, similar to how you can dye a wolf's collar to change the color, and then particles of that color could fill the area. I would love to hear your thoughts on this and how you think this will affect map makers and the game in general. And remember, I will see you all a little later. Hatbox Burke. <laughs> that's an ominous ominous yeah, I, sign off I was like <laughs> over your shoulder in the deep dark caves of the world yeah it, 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 it had a very Terminator I'll be back kind of line to it interesting <laughs> um, so yeah th this is again something that we uh, we could have touched on in the in the news read but thank you Hatbox Burke for the email Spore Blossoms I I honestly didn't try myself when I was poking around in the snapshot to place a bunch of these in one area I just put one down and was instantly a lot happier with the radius of effects that they've added for these particles. Because previously, they dropped underneath the plant in a kind of dripping motion, as though water was dripping through a block above. And 
now they very much like fill an area with floating spores and the spores tend to float in different directions although mostly kind of falling downwards like a very gentle snow and with the radius like that it feels a lot more like what was originally promised of them from minecraft live it's a lot more how i envisioned the feature that they announced at minecraft live being implemented in game so personally i'm really happy with the change alone uh how do you feel about it joel same i i when i placed it in world playing around with the snapshot i built like a little dark oak tree and put some spore blossoms underneath it to kind of make like this magical fantasy looking thing and it worked i had two or three of them around i think they generate light or i had glow berries next to them to light them up i can't yeah. remember which but um but i i like the effect i thought that's really cool i kind of you know i kind of wanted it to be more or like less linear sort of thing and this is precisely the kind of thing you still get the the denser line of of spores coming down from the flower so you understand that that is the source of this uh so if you don't like it and you want to get rid of it you know mine up the flower and collect it and that way it'll stop um but i re i have loved the particle effects that they've added in the nether since the launch of 116. Like I just, you know, the the ashes in basalt deltas, the red um, spores in in crimson forests. Uh, I feel like there's also blue spores in warp forests as yeah, well. Yeah, there's, there's certainly a similar effect. And yeah, you get yeah. like ash rain in the basalt deltas is one yeah. of my favorite things about the ambience oh. in the nether update. It's so good. So good. And this idea from uh hatbox burke about dyeing them or changing the color of the flower is amazing because i uh, sure i like the green it'd be an excellent cool thing for a magical forest or whatever but if you wanted something a little bit different uh or something that felt a little bit more uh minecrafty or fantasy as opposed to just green spores uh being able to change the color of the spore blossoms would be fantastic uh so again i like it as it is i'm not complaining but i love the idea of dyeing this kind of stuff but how cool would it be to have something like yellow or pink you know um i don't know if you want to marry that to what biome the spore blossom is in uh or if uh dying with it might feel a little bit strange in minecraft i don't know if they want to go down the route of um like breeding flowers together like what if instead of using the dyes we got another use for flowers where you could take you know the blue corn flower and combine it with a uh, spore blossom and then you get a blue spore blossom that would then make blue particles everywhere uh, as opposed to green and i thought that would be kind of like a neat idea rather than just like dyeing the you know um the spore blossom kind of like in alice in wonderland where they want to paint the roses red yeah, I mean, it, it, just, it feels kind of weird. <laughs> it could be an interesting approach to using bees to do that, because obviously bees are the things that would cross-pollinate flowers. So oh, it, imagine yeah. you introduce bees to caves and bring in, say, a cornflower for the bee to buzz around. The bee maybe drifts up to the spore blossom, then later the spore blossom starts producing blue particles as though it's taken on some of the properties of the cornflower. Adds a layer of complexity that, again, I'm not sure how this would be, how easy this would be to code or whatever, but I... Yeah, I like the idea, and it certainly allows players a broader range of creativity in their builds if they want to use these for atmosphere than just having the default spore blossom particles. Even though I I kind of agree that having a bunch of particles stacking in an area could be a little bit overwhelming if you put a whole bunch of them. And I think it may even be the case that now this is more of a radius around the flower than it is a like a direct feed coming down from the flower. I have a feeling that if you 
block the flower up, you still get those particles in an area. I haven't tried that out again, so I could be wrong, but I think I saw somebody mention that, that you can hide the flowers behind something else and still get the same particle field effect. So even yeah, even if you do um even if you can't block it off, you can still tuck it up like into a, like a little chasm in the same way that people hide lights down a couple of blocks. You could sure. maybe tuck it up a couple of blocks and still have not have the explorer blossom visible but have the particles fly around uh i didn't notice i thought i was i was trying to watch some of the videos i, I don't necessarily know if i felt that it's stacked i'll go with you know i'll believe the the email and say sure if it stacks i can see that being a problem for you know pcs that might have a lot of issues with particles um i would be cool if it just increased the radius you know like if you had more spore blossoms just meant that it would happen in a wider radius. I don't necessarily need it to be denser. I will try and find the Wattles video that Hatboxburg is referring to so that we can put it in the show notes and uh, maybe our listeners can decide for themselves. But yeah, potentially we could see a few complaints even from people who have lower end hardware and maybe the amount of particles stacking in that area could be a, a problem for them. <laughs> it might cause a little bit of like client side lag just rendering all of that stuff. I don't know, but yeah, interested to see how spore blossoms get used. And even if they continue in their current state, I do think the enlarged radius for spore blossom particles is a, a vast improvement. So looking forward to seeing if they get expanded anymore. I wonder if, like campfires, where players can put a wheat block or hay bale underneath the campfire to control the size of the smoke plume, if they'll get something that if you place a spore blossom on a certain kind of block will either allow the effect to happen or not happen uh or if it will increase or decrease the effect that could be an option yeah i mean kind of similar to how you have uh like newer features like skulk sensors being waterlogged changing some of the 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 behavior of it a little bit yeah i, I think there's mm. certainly scope for it to interact with some of that stuff maybe if it gets placed on uh yeah, maybe it's deep slate or maybe it's uh, dripstone or something like that. Some, one of the newer blocks can maybe interact with it that way to reduce the particle field a little bit or, yeah, change, change some of the stuff about it. That's that's an interesting concept. It, it's It's got got scope for uh, for changing it up a little bit, I think. Our next email comes from Ron D, a landscape artist member in our Discord, switching hotbar slots. Hey, Pix and Joel. In my opinion, one of the big problems with Minecraft's inventory system at the moment is hotbar management. I like to keep all of my tools on my hotbar, as well as a couple of other things that I use nearly all the time. Fireworks for flying, a water bucket, and ender pearls. However, because I keep all of this on my hotbar, there ends up only being a single slot or two for building blocks. This can make it pretty tedious to build sometimes, especially in more complicated builds where you can easily walk over to another block and use the pick block feature. With Mojang constantly adding more tools that would be nice to have in your hotbar, like the spyglass, I think they should really consider this problem. In Stardew Valley, you can press the tab key on PC and the, new, the next row of your inventory slots becomes your hotbar. I feel something like this would be perfect for Minecraft. You can easily lay out one or two of the rows in your inventory with your tools, a row for building blocks, and then when you switch between them, you just need to press tab a couple of times. Obviously, this would not solve running out of inventory space in general, but I feel like it could be a good, strong step in the right direction. What do you guys think, Ron D? 
having played a lot of Stardew Valley recently, I'm kind of on board with that. I I I actually play Stardew Valley like I play Minecraft because I'm so used to the Minecraft inventory system. I don't use the tab switching feature all that much. And Stardew, for what it's worth, has three extra spaces on your inventory. So it does one through nine, but then it also takes into account zero, minus, and plus as inventory spaces. So the inventory is 36 spaces in three rows of 12 instead of 36 spaces in four rows of nine. Uh, but outside of that, it is a very intuitive inventory system to use once you get used to it. And thankfully in Stardew, you don't really need to switch around between stuff all that much. I think I find a lot of the time inventory is used for just filling up with things you're collecting at the time. But then Minecraft obviously has a lot more need to switch between slots of your inventory for, as you say, building blocks and things like that. So there is definitely potential for this. And I agree, and I think the devs agree as well, if you listen to Olraf talking about bundles at Minecraft Live, he mentioned that one of the problems that they've identified with inventory management is hotbar management. He didn't offer a solution for it at the time, but he did say that's a problem they're aware of and are looking into. So there is certainly potential for something like this to come up in future. I don't think it's too far-fetched at all. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there is a feature similar to this in creative mode, right? It's it's a little bit more complicated than that because you can set up hotbar layouts and then save them to the creative inventory. And then I think there's a keyboard shortcut like Control-1, Control-2, Control-3 that right. will cycle between those layouts for you. And I think... It, uh, that might be less feasible in survival because of it having to remember which items you've selected, but then also compensate for them maybe not being in your inventory when you switch right. to that layout. And it's not a super intuitive button combination to press when you're also sprinting around and trying to access stuff in your inventory. I can only imagine like running away from mobs, hammering control to make sure I'm sprinting, and then try and pull my sword out only to find that I've switched to the layout that has all the blocks on it. So yeah. I think in a more sedate environment like creative, it's more suited to gameplay, whereas in survival, I think you need to bind it differently or have some other way of switching besides the uh, the keyboard shortcut. I like the toggle idea of just hitting tab, although tab is currently used for things like displaying your server members on a multiplayer yes. server. But I, I like the idea uh, of having at least one line, because uh, this is where I think that this might meet some um, resistance from the Minecraft community, is that I know a lot of players, especially people who have been playing for a long time, set up their inventory about the same every time. You know, like yeah. for me, I got arrows, a set of shears, and my torches in the top left. I've got... Uh, uh, an ender chest and a crafting table in the top right. Now, more often, I have a stone cutter there as well. Uh, I have, you know, uh, sometimes a, a block or something I'm using in my near my offhand, like kind of like that top middle area. Uh, often, torches are up there too. Uh, so, I don't want to necessarily have to change the way that my inventory is played. Although I feel like, you know, I could adjust, but I feel like there would be a lot of people that would be set in their ways. So, even if it was just the bottom line of your inventory, like even that, if that just had like a slightly different color, or if it was made, you know, uh, if you were made aware that by pressing this one button on your keyboard, you could switch between just these two, just this mm -hmm. 18 different things, you know, one line of nine, another line of nine. So, building versus, you know, sword. So, you if you switched by mistake, you'd only have to hit it, hit it once again to get back to have your sword ready to go. Uh, I think that might be a, a, a nice way to go. Because either way, you're doubling <laughs> what you have access to on your hotbar, which uh, I think would be uh, 
needed because I, I run into this a lot. I start to move the axe and the sword and I start to tuck things that I'm not using all the time up into my inventory um, and because I want those extra block spaces. I want like four or five blocks on, on the hotbar. Yeah. And there are a few mods that offer solutions to stuff like this. I know a few mods introduce a multi-tool, like a Paxel or something like that, that can be multiple tools at once to increase the amount of available space on your hotbar for other tools or blocks or whatever. Uh, Tinker's Construct adds a tool belt, like a utility belt kind of thing, that is uh, interchangeable with your hotbar. Again, like a keyboard combination, uh, keyboard shortcut just swaps your hotbar out for another row but the problem with that i find is that that row stays hidden when you open your inventory which leads to you missing out on items that you've got in there and not realizing that you are carrying them and then you end up searching a bunch of chests only to find that you just need to hit your toolbar button and there it is again so i find if they're going to add something like that it probably needs to switch between existing rows of your inventory like the top row of your inventory as it currently is in game or if they're going to add another row to your inventory, at least make it visible when you hit E. Because otherwise, I think that leads to too many players, you know, having that out of sight, out of mind kind of thing with a bunch of their tools mm. or blocks or whatever it happens to be, and then losing them later. So the main discussion this week, we are going to dig into Flames of the Nether, the DLC that just came out for Minecraft Dungeons. Uh, I have not had a chance to play. I did, however, dig in some information. I want to kind of get through this quickly so that we can talk more about the gameplay. But when I first looked into um, picking it up and setting myself up to get into it, I got a little confused because uh, not only did I not buy it through the Minecraft store, I don't think, or the um, Microsoft store, I'm pretty sure I bought minecraft dungeons the hero edition from the website when it first came out mm -hmm. um but also as a new xbox owner i have uh, xbox game pass ultimate and so this led to some like you know where do i have access how does this work uh you tweeted me a help article i also sorted some things out of my own but i figured a lot of our listeners might have these questions so i thought i'll run through this quickly uh, we'll have a link to the help article about xbox game pass and what that means uh in the show notes but essentially Minecraft Dungeons, the base game, is included in your Xbox Game Pass console only, or Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, which gives you access to the game on both console and PC. Before I had Game Pass, I purchased the Hero Edition when it came out, giving me access to Jungle Awakens and Creeping Winter. Because I have Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, I also have access to both of those DLCs on both the console and the PC. So before you go to purchase either the season pass or minecraft dungeons flames of the nether dlc sign into your windows or your xbox account either on your pc or your if you're on xbox you're probably already signed in but you absolutely want to sign in for that because minecraft dungeons flames of the nether is 599 usd or 769 canadian but with game pass you get a 10 percent discount so it's only for me it would be 692 uh, canadian uh, same thing for the DLC uh, on the season pass. Now, this includes um, Creeping Winter. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, no, how, um, sorry. This includes Howling Peaks, uh, the Flames of the Nether, and the yet-to-be-named uh, Ocean and End DLC. So overall, if you, are, if you know you're going to play all the DLC, it is better to get the season pass. Um, but again, you also get a 10% discount if you already have xbox game pass or xbox game pass ultimate depending on where you play so 
100% worth signing into your Windows account uh, or checking out the Microsoft Store on your desktop or again on the Xbox, depending on where you play, to see if uh, you are going to purchase one of these things, either the DLC single or the season pass, uh, you will get a discount for that. Um, the base game though, and all of the free updates that come with all of these DLCs to the base game are included in Xbox Game Pass and Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. Uh, the last little point too, uh, which I thought was really interesting, is the um the, the the way that it displays like i i had a hard time figuring out what i had access to it was a little bit confusing for me and i i just think that it's for me i think it's because i'm a java player and i think it's because the java launcher is not yet connected to the microsoft account so when i see minecraft dungeons in my java launcher it says do you want to buy the game it doesn't say play the game yeah, so I was butting up against this problem because the games are in the same launcher, but I still have a Mojang account separate from my Microsoft account because I bought Minecraft a while ago and I think maybe more recent account purchases sign up with a Microsoft account already and they still haven't merged Mojang and Microsoft accounts. They, they announced they were going to, but I think that is still in the works. And so I've played Dungeons several times this past week, but I had to sign out of my Java Minecraft Pixorifs account to sign in with my Microsoft Pixorifs account and play Minecraft Dungeons. So I have to, yeah, flip back and forth, and it's not the kind of it's not the case that you can have both accounts logged in at once. I have to sign out with one to then switch to the other, which is a little bit awkward. Um, and this may be unique to my method of purchase because I was playing on PC through the Java launcher, I bought the game through minecraftdungeons.net and not the Microsoft Store, so it doesn't just launch from my desktop as a separate purchased game, it launches through the Minecraft Java Edition launcher. Uh, it's a small issue, but um, I am now more looking forward to the merging of Mojang and Microsoft accounts so that I don't have to switch profiles a whole bunch, just for a, a small uh, quality of life thing. But... Um, yeah, having gone through a bit of Flames of the Nether and some of the, the free update stuff as well, I thought I'd, I'd put together a little report on this. Um, so starting out with Flames of the Nether DLC, it really starts to switch up the formula from the previous DLC, but I think does it in a way that feels subtractive rather than additive. So the previous DLCs all took the formula of they have two story levels, one introductory level where you find out where a shard of the orb of dominance has been scattered to after you're defeating the arch illager in default difficulty um and then that the shard is kind of corrupting an area so you understand that say like in creeping winter or in howling peaks effectively like a creature from this area has become corrupted by the shard and has turned into a giant boss that you have to fight at the end of the second level. Along the way you unlock a third bonus level that is just a little bit more exploration of the area and some fun objectives that they thought wouldn't necessarily fit the story levels but would be fun as a level on their own. What the Nether DLC adds is six levels, starting with Nether Wastes, you play that, it unlocks Warped Forest and Basalt Delta, and then collecting a scroll from each of these unlocks the hidden levels of Crimson Forest and Nether Fortress, 
and you collect a scroll from Crimson Forest and it unlocks Soul Sand Valley. The difference this time is there's no surface level story. Um, there's no voiceover, no cutscenes, you get a flyby of the level in the same way that you have on some of the previous uh, opening cutscenes, but there's no, you know, the shard has now found its way through the nether portal, like nothing like that at all. Uh, and there is no climactic boss fight, except for some ghasts that will ruin your day uh, if you're playing on Apocalypse Plus. But it sort of feels different. It feels more like exploration than a quest to me. I think the 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 vibe I get is it feels more Minecrafty, but less dungeonsy, if that makes sense. And I wonder at the effectiveness of departing from the formula at this point, because it does sort of feel like a a side adventure where your character is going to the nether for the first time, but it doesn't really explore the character's motivations for going to the nether, and when you've been set up as this hero who's going to bring peace to the world by eliminating the threat of the Archillager and his minions, it doesn't really go into why you're going to the nether in the first place other than just, well, it's there, I guess, and it's something to do. Um, Where do you think they could have gone with the story? Well, I don't know. That's the problem. Without it getting too formulaic and being like, well, there's another shard here and here is a, a nether boss mob, I, I don't know how they could have kept the story fresh. And I can see just as much backlash coming from, well, there's another shard here and another boss and people going, well, you know, this is the fourth time now. Like, mm. it's it's getting a little bit formulaic. But then to change up the formula, they've sort of introduced very little story at all on the surface level. And what you get a lot of is environmental storytelling, which I think, and having watched the Dev Diary video where they talked about Flames of the Nether, was kind of what they were going for. So... Uh, they're taking the idea of Bastion Remnants and the whole concept of Piglin's civilization and they're adding a a bit more flavor to that. You know, they're, they're adding some more ruined structures, they're adding things that like are more Piglin fortresses and stuff throughout the level and a lot of it has a mechanical like steampunk, diesel punk kind of feel, which wow. actu actually works pretty well for Piglins, I think. Yeah, no, that yeah, steam power in the Nether, uh, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, exactly. No water, I guess, but it, I guess you do. You think about like natural steam vents or something. It's it's geothermal. It's lava powered. That kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, the levels feel a bit more um precipitous. Like a, a lot of the time, you are running on thin pathways, and there's lava either side of you, and it's not necessarily the kind of lava that you're going to roll into and die instantly. It's like the the mist that you can fall into on some of the levels in the base game of Minecraft Dungeons. You're just going to roll off a ledge and then respawn without losing a life, maybe a little bit of health. Um, but it does provide some interesting opportunities for combat, for shoving enemies off ledges, and it adds to the feeling of exploring the nether being fairly dangerous because you're high up a lot of the time and falling can be a problem. And so it takes some of the feel of exploring the nether from Minecraft and transitions it to dungeons in a really cool way. Um, as far as the expansion to piglins, you get items added in like um, like clockwork crossbows. There's like a cog crossbow that you get at a certain point and you get the feeling the piglins are using it because they they shoot you really fast <laughs> as far as like you know the pillager crossbows go they tend to you know shoot you once and then reload the piglins rapid fire you a lot of the time which can get quite frustrating but it also yeah sort of adds a different dynamic to combat they're not just reskins of mobs from the overworld they take on a bit of a different flavor 
they've also done a really good job translating the environment of the nether biomes that they were obviously working alongside the java art team to produce their vision of what the java art team already had laid out for the nether update and they've added more bioluminescence to warped forests they've added more variants of fungus to the crimson forest and i feel like they've done a really good job interpreting that in a way that still feels like a consistent art style with the rest of dungeons so that's really cool the interpretations once again of minecraft's mobs for the combat style of minecraft dungeons is also pretty cool like fighting blazes in this game feels like yeah you're fire you're fighting a pretty deadly ranged enemy they can leave fire everywhere it's what we're used to from minecraft but obviously with the movement scaled up a little bit um and if you get enchanted blazes where if you're playing on a higher difficulty some of the mobs can be enchanted and you get one that has multi-shot and then ricochet which basically multiplies the amount of projectiles they can fire they can fill an entire room with fire (laughs) um yeah it's a lot um and so i had a lot of fun picking apart some of the stuff in there and the combat experience is is really good it's a combat focused game and the story was you know always going to be a lighter aspect of this game in favor of making the combat more fun but i think for people who may have wanted a little bit of story to understand better why their character is there in the first place nothing like that really gets offered which is a shame but is not you know ultimately the worst thing in the world when they've given you six levels to explore a bunch of new mobs to fight and you get to see some of your nether favorites interpreted in minecraft dungeons i will point out before i move on to talk about ancient hunts that the nether fortress level has a really fun nod to the 2017 minecon mob vote where there was a variant on a blaze that has a kind of shielded blaze design almost like wearing a crown um which was mob d in the 2017 mob vote there is a statue of that in the central arena that you go to basically to finish the uh, your exploration of the nether fortress level and i really wish it had been implemented as a boss just because that would have been such a a coup for the people who voted for that mob and such a a fun way of saying well this mob is gone from vanilla minecraft forever but we can sneak it into minecraft dungeons and it still kind of has a life and maybe even nice. a nod to the fact that the isologer didn't get put into minecraft after it was you know one of the options having been you know floated for for the mob vote this time around but, Not uh, to get too off track, but there's an aquatic mob that didn't make it either, and there's an aquatic update coming exactly. to Minecraft that, as well. That was yeah. that was my thinking. Was I? I wonder if they're going to implement it so one of the the old mobs from that mob vote ends up coming to Minecraft Dungeons with each of the DLCs. Because the the little crocodile mob that was mob C, the one that I actually voted for, could yep. potentially have been in the end update. It could have been a creature that you could have fit the biology of the end somehow so yeah yeah, makes sense i i thought it it could have been the direction they were going but yeah unfortunately it was not to be not to worry though (laughs) uh wondering about like the boss fight in the nether i guess you know like the blaze one would be probably the the one that would make the most sense but uh is there anything about the experience of going through the dlc where you thought that a boss fight would have been better like what would you want from a boss fight like a big ghast you know uh or, or other things in that line Honestly, to carry on with the the theme of what they had in the 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 mobs that they and, and how they used them, I feel like it would either be like you're in a bastion and you're facing down like the brute of all brutes, 
mm-hmm. with the piglins and there is definitely scope for them to add a new type of piglin considering they've added the piglin merchant to the camp now and he looks very different from the other piglins so there's potential for like a bit more branching out there or it could be a nether fortress mob like a, a wither skeleton or something like that they have wither skeletons firing bows at you which is a significant departure from what they do in regular minecraft um yeah. so there are different variants on each of those mobs so it's not too far-fetched to imagine them introducing just like a souped up version of one of those as a boss mob um it it might feel a little anticlimactic compared to some of the other boss mobs we'd encountered so far but but something like that wouldn't go go too far wrong i feel like does the piglin merchant feel like wedged in or does it fit with all the like steampunk you know kind of vibe that they've given the piglins uh I think the Piglin Merchant is his own kind of deal, but I don't feel like it's shoehorned in. I think it fits pretty well into camp. And it was mentioned in the dev video, although I don't think it's really mentioned anywhere in-game, that the idea is he has found some sort of concoction of fungus that allows him to stay normal in the overworld and not become a zombie piglin. Um, so he's he's got like a potion that he drinks or something like that to keep him like normal. Uh, to resist the zombification and I think that's a fun detail even if it isn't really spelled out for you that way in game as far as I'm aware um, but it definitely takes on more of a, almost like a shamanic vibe to piglins which could have been part of their previous culture and there are piglin mobs who will run around the field of battle when you're exploring crimson forest for example and they throw fungus at you and it has like a potion of harming sort of style effect where it just deals a bit of damage and knocks you back a little way and so the idea that they use they're, they're weaponizing fungus and maybe that's what they've used to hunt hoglins and that kind of stuff like it all ties in quite well so yeah i i think they have a a neat way of integrating the uh, the piglin merchant spore grenade that's awesome exactly <laughs> yeah that's that's more or less what they have and so the piglin merchant ties things into ancient hunts which are the new free update and i think are honestly the best expansion to end games so far uh it's mysterious it's challenging it's rewarding and it's free uh although it makes heavy use of assets from the dlc levels and i don't know if the experience differs for people who haven't paid for the dlc but i would assume not so for people who haven't played the dlc but are interested in getting a look at the environments that are used in some of the dlc levels uh, an ancient hunt will actually show you a little bit of that stuff so you're not going to miss out on you maybe miss out on the story levels and the boss fights but you you can still get a little snapshot of what it's like to do those because uh the way it works is first of all you sacrifice a combination of ranged weapons melee weapons armor and artifacts into a new nether portal that's built into the camp you can also do this from the map but i think it's more fun to walk down into the cave where the piglin merchant is and and do this um and so each weapon armor artifact whatever it is has different runes attached to it and i'm not entirely certain what the runes represent it's certainly not immediately obvious what they are it's sort of like the enchantment table language where you're sort of it's open to interpretation but they seem to be tied to the kind of artifact or weapon it is maybe what class it is loosely tied to or something like that um i expect the community has done a bit more deep diving and has figured out what most of these represent at this point but if it's your first time going into it like it was for me uh there's a lot of trial and error involved and 
a different combination of these runes can attract different ancient mobs. So you put in up to four items, they have different runes attached to them, and a certain amount of these runes have to be present before it will even say, okay, you're likely to find this ancient mob on your hunt. And you can't start one unless there is at least one ancient mob on the docket. Um, and once you've kind of dialed that in, you're able to spend enchantment points permanently uh, to increase the percentage likelihood that an ancient mob appears and also the amount of boss rooms that appear in the hunt. So potentially you can end up with up to a sort of 95% chance of encountering one and the chance to fight them more than once per hunt or fight different ancient mobs depending on the combinations of gear that you, you sacrifice. Um, but those are all lost once you go in there. And enchantment points, it's worth pointing out, are only obtained from leveling up your character and you can salvage them back off the gear you get. But once you spend them on an ancient hunt, you are losing that enchantment point permanently and you have to level up to gain more. So uh, it kind of encourages you to go through and grind to level up a little bit. Um, but once you're at the stage I am where I've been playing with this character through Apocalypse Plus, I have a bunch of extra enchantment points. My character's level 120-something. You know, it's you've, you've got wow. plenty left over if you are not enchanting every single piece of gear you use. Um, and so you go through a series of levels which usually starts off uh, with a section of the nether, um, I, I hop into the, the nether portal once I've kind of dialed in the uh, the ancient mob hunt. You go to a basalt delta, you kind of scramble through an area of the level looking for objectives to complete. And sometimes this is just finding a nether portal, sometimes it's finding a certain area of the level where there's a spider cave. And once you've taken out enough of the spiders, some of these eggs start to spawn and you break those. And then once you leave that area you go through to maybe a section that has a woodland mansion and you can explore that a little bit. And it leads you through basically multiple dimensions hopping through these nether portals. And along the way, you actually have to do some exploring because there are arenas where you find ancient mobs that are sort of off the beaten path. Um, you'll find them with uh, sort of visages of the redstone golems above the doors. And then you go through the door to a small arena, basically its own room, you hit a button and then the ancient mob spawns surrounded by a bunch of empowered related mobs. Uh, so the first one I fought was a giant geomancer who had a bunch of enchanted isologers around him and the next one I fought later was a bunch of powered up plant monsters from the Jungle Awakens DLC. And it seems like these are set. They aren't sort of too randomly generated. If you put in the same combination of runes, you get the same boss fight each time so you can actually target a specific ancient mob and it's going to drop from a limited pool of gear so if there's a specific one that you're looking for and you know it drops a certain type of item you can go back to that one over and over again um what you get for defeating those is gilded gear which is what they were talking about in the dev diary which is a an enhanced version of a regular or unique piece of armor but the gilded thing basically means it has a secondary extra ability attached to it, which I think is sort of randomized. So you might get a uh, a piece of armor that, along with the abilities it naturally has, also gets you more emeralds the more you explore, or has, you know, uh, a, a slightly improved roll cooldown, or something like that, that the piece of armor doesn't normally have. 
And so you can end up with those stacking to the effect where you have a really powerful piece of gear that then becomes sort of the centerpiece of your build if you want to use it that way. And <laughs> I feel like in my case, I didn't really get to use this to its full potential because I already have a fairly specific play style <laughs> um, in that I, I started this character doing my weaponless playthrough and now I just use melee style gauntlets and I don't attack with a ranged weapon. So pretty much instantly, if it didn't work for my build, I wasn't that interested in the gilded gear. So maybe I'm not the right person to, you know, go through that and kind of figure out what the best builds are for gilded gear but it seemed like the right combination would get me uh, a gilded version of the gauntlets that i'm using for my bare fist steve character and so if i find out the right combination to find the right ancient mob i could end up getting some really powerful versions of gear that i'm already using um i i like the idea of like dialing in and the mystery behind it and like four different pieces of gear means there's a lot of different combinations to, to yeah figure out what that is it's very it's stargate of, it feels very stargate I, to me the whole thing took the words out of my mouth my friend yeah mm -hmm. that's exactly where my brain was going was like dialing in a stargate and trying to figure out where you're going to go in the universe yeah that's that's really cool i I can see that being sometimes frustrating though. Like if you want to play a melee character and then the gilded gear that you work so hard to get uh, has like a random enchant and has nothing to do with um, what you either put into the gate or what you are currently having as a build. Um, I can see that being a bit of a grind, but at the same time may also introduce players um, that want to or are, or are open to changing their play styles to change it up. Like if you get a piece of armor that increases your healing ability or something, your your passive heals, then you might be more inclined to switch to a, a, a melee style where you've been more hanging back with the bow and arrow because you just keep on getting your face handed to you if you're too yes. close. Uh, mm -hmm. You might be more encouraged. Like, oh, this, this might give me enough, um, not stamina, but like an, enough health to 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 last longer in the thick of things, which might be a fun switch from how you're playing already. Um, it like... I wonder if or how long it will take the community to kind of sort out what, you know, item begets what boss and they've, if that will be... They've done it already. Like, uh, oh, right, okay. I've yeah, seen I've sense. seen some pretty intensive Google spreadsheets uh, that I think people in the Minecraft wow. Dungeons Discord have worked on, um, where if you make a copy of the spreadsheet, you can effectively, you know, calculate which type of gear you need to sacrifice to the portal and they've done pretty rigorous testing on it within the first week of this so yeah mm. I, I i think if you do a certain combination of stuff i would be guaranteed to get an ancient mob where gauntlets were part of its loot drop table so there are multiple things that a mob can drop and gauntlets would be one of maybe four items i could get so i might have to do a fair amount of grinding to find a unique version of the gauntlets like the fighter's bindings which are my kind of preferred version uh or maulers which are the other unique gauntlets but um yeah i i feel like it it could be pretty powerful in the right hands and if you're going for a specific type of build the information is out there if you want it if you don't want to put yourself through you know going through the spreadsheet and everything you just want to immerse yourself in the idea of hunting for all of this gear and you're still trying to figure out what your preferred build is then go nuts because you can do a lot with it and it gives more purpose to the loot you now bring back from levels, all of the, the weapons and armor that are lower level that you just discard because you don't really need to, you know, bring any of that stuff with you. You can now keep that stuff to sacrifice it to the nether portal and that's potentially going to be really useful for you 
if you've already got your build locked in, where previously you would just salvage it for emeralds, and all the emeralds melt meant was that you could go to any of the merchants at camp and just spend money to, you know, buy the stuff that they had, which might be equally useless to you, you know? Whereas yeah. now you can go there, buy specific stuff that you know is going to unlock the ancient mob that you want, and keep trying for that unique gilded gear. Right. Um, so I, f I feel like this is a lot to manage. It, it kind of is, and, and we'll get onto that in a second. Um, the, the last thing about gilded gear is that you can also buy it from the piglin merchant, which is why he's there, uh, using gold. And gold is a new currency that you can only acquire from ancient hunts. There are mob drops, there are chests. Uh, you get 10 gold for ending the level, basically, uh, at least at the difficulty I was playing. That may change depending on your difficulty setting. You can also then salvage gilded gear to get some gold back, but the gold you get back is fairly small. It's like four or so, and the piglin merchant is selling stuff that is a hundred or so. So it does require a bit of grind. Um, and the problem with that now is that what the game needs, in my opinion, is better inventory organization. And we've kind of been singing this song from the beginning, but the need to sacrifice gear to go on ancient hunts means you want to keep a lot of junk gear on you. And that amplifies the problem of your inventory getting filled with items you don't want to use. So swapping between weapons and items on the fly now becomes much more of a difficult management task. And you can sort based on category, and that's, you know, weapons, uh, ranged weapons, armor, uh, artifacts. You can also sort by enchanted stuff, but that doesn't help for artifacts because you can't put enchantments on those. And so the categories help a little bit, but when you have 40 or so melee weapons and all you want to do is get to the one specific weapon you want to switch to, it becomes a bit of a chore. And we've been hoping for some sort of storage at camp from day one. This update has only increased the need for that. Um, or at least an option to favorite gear in your player inventory so you can pin it to the top of the the mm. inventory or mm. something like that. And it, and it doesn't mean you have to scroll through all of the items you've acquired since then to find what you want to switch to. The, the other thing that I think would really improve this is a codex or something like that, like an, an in-game wiki, as it were, because uh, the game is still young enough and I think casual enough that the wiki for the game isn't super well-maintained. There's a, a great community out there all sharing information, but the central source of it is nowhere near as developed as, say, the Minecraft wiki is. So I think it'd be really great to have some in-game way to keep track of which weapons and armor you've collected, maybe what their basic abilities are, minus the enchants, which are pretty much always random, you could have a bestiary as part of it so you can remember what the enemies are called because I didn't know wraiths were called wraiths until I encountered an enchanted one on Apocalypse difficulty because that's the only time their name is printed on the screen the entire time. Um, you could have a breakdown of enchantments so you can see what those typically do and remember which ones you're going for and maybe even keep a list of stuff like the player's accomplishments, records, speed times through a level, or most damage dealt, and stuff like that. And the game does that for you at the end of each level. It kind of gives you a randomized set of four stats at the end of the run, half of which don't even apply sometimes. Like, I play single player pretty much constantly. I have an offline game going every time I play, and it still tells me that I've done no healing to my allies when I finish a game occasionally. And I'm like, I know I didn't have any. <laughs> Show me the stats that are relevant. And so mm. I would love to have some sort of 
in-game resource to look at, like the Codex in Hades, for example, another dungeon crawler that does this spectacularly well, just kind of collects information on enemies as you go, and once you've fought them enough times, it reveals a little bit more lore about each enemy. And that's fine if you want to do a bunch of reading, but what it means is you can go back to it, you know what it looks like, you know what it's called, and you know a little bit more about its attack patterns or something. I think that could be really nice to have in-game for Minecraft Dungeons, so that you can keep track of what gilded gear you've acquired, which uniques you still need to grind for. All of that stuff would be so much easier to keep track of if you didn't have to do it in your inventory at the time. And so I, mm. I feel like that's that's what the game is still missing for me at this stage. But honestly, ancient hunts are a really great feature. I'm much more passionate about those than I am about the nether levels. Um, and it's the kind of thing that would keep me coming back to this game if I had a bit more time to play it, because the loot grind aspect of it just got a major upgrade and feels like there is a point to it now that there really wasn't before. It it feels like that from the outside, like hearing all the details that, that you put into it. Like I just, it, it feels more appealing. It reminds me of like Endgame Diablo back in the day. Yeah, and uh, I, I wasn't sure because I haven't really played many other games like that, like Diablo or Torchlight or anything that a lot of people have been comparing that for obvious reasons and saying that dungeons lacked the depth. And I wonder how they added the depth in in the first place. And so if it's more stuff like this... And if there's potential for the end game to expand even further with the next couple of updates, then hopefully the team has something like that in mind, right? Yeah, with Diablo, again, very little experience, but through also friends that were playing at a high, high level, um, it, it became a lot about, you know, you're not doing any new story content, but you are getting more and more powerful and you have to deal with harder and harder situations in a fight. But as you get those epic, you know, or those uh, those pieces of gear that then, in a set, really add bonuses. You know, like when you have the same kind of you know helmet, gauntlet, boot, you know chest plate sort of thing, it enhances all together like you know Voltron. And the idea was basically like you just end up feeling incredibly powerful. It's mm -hmm. like a you know uh, I remember one podcast described some of the high level um, Diablo stuff as like it's like you have a delete button when you attack. It's just like <laughs> yeah. turning demons into powder, you know. Mm -hmm. I think it was a mage they were playing and like you know the 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 rays of the sun come out of your hand or something bananas. And like that kind of stuff just as you've been playing the game for a long time, when you struggle to get through these, you know, intense difficulties and then when you reach a point where the gear kind of culminates into you go back to that same fight and don't breeze through it. But when it was very, very tough and you end up handily, you know, getting through that and feeling powerful, it's a good feeling in a video game to to kind of up up the, your, your power level. So um, I can see that kind of making the grind worth it. I've also found going into Minecraft Dungeons thinking like, ah, I don't really want to grind through this, but I, I want to get some more emeralds or I want to try to get more gear at camp. 90 minutes later i'm still doing creeper crypts and enjoying the crap out of it you know mm -hmm. <laughs> like i just yeah. i do find the i do find the game mechanic very satisfying yeah and so i think that might help along the way too for what it's worth minecraft dungeons feels like a very satisfying game to play it's very well polished the mm. kind of the feedback you get from attacks and various abilities is really well done and, you know, down to, like, the sound design on getting a critical hit on something and the graphic that appears on screen when you hit something and you just get this giant skull appears that you've done triple damage. It's it's very satisfying to play. And so here's hoping that it gets even more satisfying in future. 
Uh, folks, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up for this episode of the Spawn Chunks, though. Thank you so much for listening through us, chatting about all of this stuff. If you want to hear more about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today, you'll find those at thespawnchunks.com. Uh, the music for the show was composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. As we were saying at the top of the show, if you get some value out of the show please consider putting some value back in. You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat and gets us closer to our next goal of having a monthly Minecraft audio hangout with our Patreon community. We're currently at 240 patrons, which is holding steady from last week. Thank you, everyone, for sticking around. And special thanks to our content engineers, Fazu Battlecaster, General Pattern 82, Greener Canuck, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's free. You can find the show at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance, tell them about The Spun Chunks and where they can go to listen. Where might that be? You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Really, wherever you find a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com, and the RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com. The patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, and that's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I sometimes do behind-the-scenes work for The Survival Guide, and you can still catch the VOD of my Clash of the Creators attempt this weekend. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search, and outside of that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment at thecitadelcafe.com. Follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am building a medieval town in Minecraft, having a lot of fun. This past week, there was a lot of roof floofing. You had to be there. Uh, and I'm also hoping to crack a snapshot uh, series in the near future. So check that out. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and we'll never get the deep stains out. <laughs>